You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Because you are fully accepted by God because of Jesus. 
but what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to tell you to pull up your bootstraps, and I have a bunch of exhortations that are going to, um, we're going to start off with, but I'll, I'll get to the gospel at the end, and we're going to come back to this idea, and we're going to hit grace, and you're going to be reminded of the gospel, because this is the church, and that's what we have to do. So first, we need to look at the actions needed to be a genuine, loving community. Look at verse 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So first, we get a genuine, loving community needs to meet each other's needs. If you're going to be a genuine, loving community, you need to meet each other's needs. In other words, if we're really going to love each other, we can't hoard our resources but we need to share with those in need. A genuine, loving community is generous and not selfish with our resources. I want to pause there for a moment because I think when you hear a text like this or if you read like the beginning of Acts, what you'll see is, is like, what, is, is the church like called into some kind of communism where we just have, have this? That's not what this is calling for. What Paul is instructing us to do and exhorting us to do here is just to be generous with what we've been given to remember where it comes from and what it's to be used for. And when we see others that are in need, we need to be generous with them. I think there's many roadblocks that might prevent us from this kind of generosity, but I'm, I'm only going to hit one here because I think this is the most prevalent and probably where we just need to land. And that is the idea that this is, this is my money, it's my time, it's my resources, and, and I want to use them however I please. You know, when kids are, are young, uh, they often have a hard time sharing things, right? I have two little girls in my house, and, and when they're playing together sometimes, if, if there's a disagreement, I often hear the words in the back room, it's mine, right? And I have to, to go in there and, and break up this little argument because they think that because they got it for their birthday or because maybe even they bought it with their own money that it's theirs and they, they don't have to share it. So I have to sit down and I have to remind them, I said, you know, first of all, you need to understand, like, everything that you have is mine. You know, I don't, I don't tell them that. I don't tell them that. <laughs> I said, everything you have has been given to you by God. And because it has been given to you by God, we need to share it. And we need to use it to bless others. And I think that example is, is easy to understand in, in the life of a child because you hear children crying out mine as well, but as, even as an adult and as a homeowner, I often find myself crying mine often. Like when I walk down into my basement and I look at my couch and there are goldfish smashed into all of the cushions. And I said, what did you do to my couch? Or then I'll go upstairs and I will see paint spilled on our carpet. And I'm like, what did you do to my carpet? And I'll go into another room and I will see permanent marker or fingernail polish on the walls. What are you doing to my walls? I cry out mine a lot. I often take the things that God has given me and cling to them and hold them in tight fists because they're mine. I earn them and I want to protect them and use them for however I want to. I want to say that the things that God has given us, they are for our enjoyment. They really are. God has blessed us with many things for our enjoyment, but it is never at the expense of his glory or providing for others. Never. I found that 
unless we make a plan to be generous with our resources, that it's a really hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? One of my heroes of the faith, Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases this verse and he says, be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. And I absolutely love that because what he's saying is like, be alert. Like, just don't wait for those needs to come to you and then say, well, now I'm going to decide if I actually want to use them. Like, be alert. Like, look for those opportunities to use your resources to bless others. Be cheerfully expectant so that when those needs come across your plate, that you are joyfully and cheerfully contributing to the needs of, of another to bless them. In the Old Testament, God had a plan in place to make sure that people's needs were taken care of, and it was this process called gleaning. And I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but this whole idea was that a farmer would harvest his field, and then at the very edges of the field, he would leave that unharvested. And the idea was that God wanted to care for the sojourner. Like if somebody was traveling and in need of food, they could just go to the edges of the field and they could grab whatever food they needed. It was often wheat where they could make their own bread or if they were poor, they could walk out to the fields and, and get this stuff out of the fields. It was God's way of providing for those that might be in need. And I think one of the unfortunate things about our culture is that our culture has taught us to be just so busy with our time and so spendy with our money that we have such little margins to care for the needs of others. If our resources were a field, we would not have any left for others, or sometimes we'd even go into other people's fields to be able to get what we need. But if we were to leave, figuratively, the edges of our field available to those in need, what would that look like? What would that look like for you to set aside the edges of your field to create a little bit of margin so that you could bless others with, with what God has blessed you with? This kind of reminds me of the, the Dave Ramsey envelope system. If you've followed Dave Ramsey, you know, you have this envelope that you put your, your bills in one and, you know, your house payment in another, your car payment, and, and then you have your, your giving. And you, you have to set this aside because unless you, you do that, you're just going to spend, right? You need to actually put this in the envelope. Or like our kids have this piggy bank where it is um, spend, save, or give are the three um, areas that they can put their money in. We try to teach them at a young age that, that everything that you get, let's, let's use it to be able to bless others, whether it's to tie to your church or if it's to bless a friend who might need something or somebody going on a mission trip. We want you to set aside that money to be able to bless others. So let's talk about our motivation for a minute. Our motivation is that we have a God who has richly provided everything that we need. That's the context we come into these verses with. We don't come into it of, of like, I have earned this and this is mine. We look at it like, look at all the things that God has blessed me with. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, and we're going to talk about haughty a little bit later, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This verse is saying that if you find yourself wealthy, and because of where we live, um, we are wealthy, most of us in this room. But because we are wealthy, we are not to be haughty. I'll tell you what that means in a little bit. But we're to set our hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God is generous with us. And the call here is to live in a loving community 
who provides for each other's needs. Listen, nobody should struggle in the church. If we're really living like a loving Christian community, there should be nobody in the church that ever has to go through a struggle, especially if, if we have the resources that we need. So I want to just tell you, like, if, if you are someone in this room that, that you are struggling with, with something, you, you need to reach out. Don't try to do this. I, I try to do that all myself of, like, just pull up my own bootstraps and just get to work. I'll dig myself out of this hole. And a Christian community is meant to come around each other and provide for those needs. And if, if you are someone who God has blessed, don't wait for people to come to you. When we live in Christian community, we are aware of each other's needs. And I love that we can go virtual now, and I know that there's probably some people that are watching online right now, and it, it is so good to be able to do in this time, but you can't replace just Christian community. You can't get that online. You can't know the needs of other people by watching a video at home. We are called to live in a Christian community, and if we are genuinely loving each other, it means that we're generous towards others because God has been generous with us. So if that scares you at all, Paul goes bigger than that. Paul just continues. He like starts off with this, and I know that can be a little bit scary of just sharing on resources, but he goes from this physical resource to this emotional resource in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Genuine love is on full display when Christians empathize with each other, when we put on each other's shoes, when we walk with each other, when we listen to each other, when we are a shoulder for each other to cry on, when we encourage one another, when we send scriptures to one another. We weep with those who weep. Even if you've never been through an experience that somebody else has been through, like if, if you've never had the a death of a family member or a, a miscarriage or coming from a broken family, just be an ear that will listen. Be a shoulder that others can cry on and someone who reminds others of the gospel and the truth that we see in scripture. On the flip side of rejoice with those who rejoice, uh, on, from weep to those who weep is, is rejoice with those who rejoice. From first blush, that sounds like it's going to be a much easier thing to do, doesn't it? I mean, it, it's harder to weep with those who weep, but rejoicing, that sounds fun. But I'm going to argue with you that that's actually a harder thing to do. And I'm going to give you a, an example. I don't, I don't know what your context is, but I know that in Redeemer City, we have had several people that have had miscarriages. We've had several people that have had a hard time um, conceiving and, and having a baby. And they have pleaded and they've asked city groups to pray for them. And all they want is a baby. And, you know, we're, we're a seven-year-old church plant. And if you know anything about a church plant, if you've been here a while and can think back, like we're producing babies like monthly. Sometimes it seems like weekly. And our children's ministry just keeps growing. And for those who are unable to have a child, that is like a slap in the face for them. And then there's other times where, like a, a family like myself, where we have our fourth child and we weren't even trying. Like, we didn't tell anybody for three months we were pregnant because we wanted to be able to tell people with joy because we thought we were done having children. And then they look at that and they go, okay, God, what's going on here? All we want is to have a child to put this love into and people are getting pregnant all around us. And, and now you even have people getting pregnant that aren't even wanting to get pregnant. Like, what about me? 
When is it my turn? God, when are you going to hear my cry? When are you going to bless me? Maybe this isn't hitting home for you, but maybe it's like getting married. Like you attend so many weddings and yet you're not even dating somebody. Or maybe it's that promotion at job where you just, uh, the promotion at work where you just keep getting passed over time after time after time. What Paul is calling us to here is to rejoice with those who rejoice, even if we're dealing with the same pain ourselves. And that is much harder to do. We've had people in our, in our small group that have been struggling to get pregnant, and every time they hear of a pregnancy, they got to enter in and rejoice with those who rejoice, even though they're broken at this news, but they want to share in the joy of another. That's what the Christian community is called into. Not just to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to enter in emotionally with others and walk with them and help carry them through that. And I love the way Paul just kind of sums this up, and it almost sounds like another exhortation, but it really is just looking back at the verses we just read, and he says, live in harmony with one another. If you do these things, if you're not stingy with your resources and you share with those in need, if you enter in emotionally with others, you are living in harmony with one another. I mean, just think about what that word harmony means. Like you have, if you had a choir up here and you were singing, if they weren't in harmony, like you would know for sure, right? But it's this beautiful sound when everybody is singing their part together to be able to make a song. And, and we are all doing our part and sharing our resources and, and meeting those needs of, of others and entering emotionally with other people. We are living in harmony. And that's got to be what it sounds like to God. And that should be what it sounds like to each other as well, that we are living in harmony with one another. Paul doesn't just say, pull up your bootstraps and get to work here, does he? It's not just our actions that Paul addresses, but he also addresses our attitude and how the Christian community, uh, what kind of attitude we are supposed to have. Look at verse 16. It's going to be just the second part of verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, do not be haughty. Um, that, that's not a word we use very often, is it? I mean, if you've used the word haughty in a conversation over the last 37 years, raise your hand, right? It's not a word we, we hear or use often. And if you're in your, your, your teenager or you're in your young 20s, no, it does not describe an attractive person either. Haughty means something else. Haughty means arrogantly superior. Um, you know, weeks ago, James preached a sermon, and I love this um, example that he used, and he said that religion is kind of like standing with your arms folded and looking down your nose at other people. That's what haughty is like as well. If we live haughty lives, we are prideful, arrogant, superior, conceited, snobbish, stuck-up, pompous, self-important, selfish people who are not able to associate with others, especially those who are downcast. We'll say things like, oh, they're just poor because they're lazy, or maybe that person should have taken better care of themselves and they wouldn't be in this position, or if they wanted help, why didn't they just ask? If we are haughty, harmony in the church will be impossible. It's often said that pride is the ultimate roadblock to Christianity, and this is kind of take, 
taken um, from Proverbs 18.12 that says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. True love and fellowship require the opposite of haughty, which is humility. And that's why grace is so important, church. I love that Paul doesn't just start off with Romans 12, does he? If you read like the first 11 chapters of Romans, what Paul does is he, he builds this foundation of grace. Over and over again, he talks about this foundation of grace. And if you just jump right to 12, you're never going to be able to live that out because we are meant to live out the grace that we've been given, which will lead us naturally to humility. Who can be prideful knowing that their salvation is not their own, but has been purchased by Christ on the cross? Who can think of themselves better than others when you know that you can do nothing to earn your salvation and you can do nothing to add to it? Who can hold their physical and emotional resources tightly and cry mine when you see all that Christ did for us, setting aside his own comfort and security to go to the cross for you and I? And when you realize this, humility naturally follows. This is, should be our attitude in such a community humility. In Philippians 2.5, Paul wrote, have this attitude. I'm going to read the whole passage there to give you the context. In Philippians 2, 1 through 8, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, there's harmony, having the same love, harmony, being in full accord and of one mind, harmony. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, there's haughty, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. That's, it's meeting the needs of others. And then he says, have this mind among yourselves. And where does that come from? It's yours in Christ Jesus. This attitude of humility is yours in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, of course, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Together as a gospel community, we humble ourselves because of Jesus. We are humble because of Jesus and because of grace. Our church, this is why we look at the gospel over and over and over again. This is why when we preach a sermon like this, we can't just exhort and tell you to get to work and pull your bootstraps up because the very heart of the gospel and the nature of, of grace is a spirit of humility. And it's a spirit of grace that actually leads us and motivates us of what Paul is calling us to do earlier in these verses. And we can't do that without the gospel. We can't do that without grace. You know, on his deathbed, Martin Luther is said to have scribbled on a piece of paper, we are sinned about the letter Dacius Solar. And if you can speak German, you know by what I just said that I don't know how to speak German. Um, I might look like I can, but I cannot. 
a little side story and then I'll, I'll end, but many years ago I was working, I used to do television production, I was working in, for MTV and we were over in Germany and we had a 24 person crew and for some reason, like anybody in Germany that came up to us would talk to me first in, in German, like I could speak German. Um, everybody else must have looked totally American, like no chance these people can meet, speak German. So they came up to me, which is weird because I'm Norwegian and uh, not German, but apparently I looked like I could speak German. But there was this one night where this guy walked out of a bar and he just starts speaking to me in German. So I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of not knowing how to speak and, and really all I know how to say in sentence is the word ja, which is like yup in German. Uh, any of the other words, like the 12 words I knew, I couldn't actually formulate into a sentence, so all I could say was ja. So he talks for a minute and he, he laughs and I, I say ja and I laugh with him. And then he talks for another minute and I say ja and he laughs and I laugh. And of course the people that are with me are, are rolling on the ground because they know that I have no idea what he's talking about whatsoever, and I'm saying the only word that I know how to use in a sentence. So I, I don't speak German, but on his deathbed, Martin Luther scribbled, we're sinned, Bethler, das ist war, which means we are all beggars. This is true. We are all beggars, this is true. Of course, this is coming at the end of his life, and. He's probably reflecting back on something that he once said, which was, we are all beggars. Showing other beggars where to find bread. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Church, we come to the cross nothing to offer. And we seek what only God can give. Each and every one of us. We are all sp spiritual beggars, but God has blessed us with the bread of life for and for those who receive Jesus, they will be spiritually nourished forever. when we share our resources with others we are showing other beggars where to find bread church when we enter in emotionally with other people we are merely showing other beggars where to find bread because we are all beggars we're showing other beggars where to find bread church let's remember to be a community of love and a community that humbly loves and cares for one another because that's what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you in a, just a spirit of humility. God, remind us often that we are just mere beggars. It would be so much different if you had not entered our world. saved us by your grace through Jesus. God, help us be humble people. The church should be the most humble people on the entire planet because of all that you have done for us and nothing that we have contributed for our salvation. So God, help us to live in a loving community that honors you and by the ways we take care of one another. We pray this in your name.